Hello, everyone. Welcome to Maple Belief in Episode 8 in Season 2. Uh, I have an exciting a guest today. He's number three on my Miller, up, Miller alumni update. It's Travis Johnson. And so if you went to Miller in the recent years, you would know him as Professor Travis. But I know him as the little kid that came and hung out with me when I was a little kid back in southwest Saskatchewan. So we uh, we start our conversation there and we end up at at uh, Miller. So it's a interesting interview and uh, we touch on some things like um, the, the uh, importance of good exegesis and uh, the importance of learning the biblical languages and then I get him to look at Hebrews 12.25 which is getting used quite a bit in today's church culture about meeting together as some are in the habit or stop or do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing and so he looks at the Greek for us as far as what the word meeting really means or does it mean assemble or is there some kind of number that we need to be at in order to get the right number for God to be happy with us so Anyways, look forward to that. That's that's near the end. And as a bonus, at the end, Travis gives us his, his top five board games that he believes are your next step after you're you're done playing the, the early or the the new style games. Uh, you get through the Settlers of Catan and you're you're done with Carcassonne and you're done with Ticket to Ride. What's the what's the next game to add a little bit more depth? to your board game experience. And since I knew Travis is a board game aficionado, I thought I'd get him to bring some games to us. So stay tuned for that. That's right at the end of his interview. But first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's going on in our neighborhood in, in Canada. And we've been locked down here in Manitoba with a whole bunch of restrictions. And one of the... Cons- restrictions has been that we we can't be in the church building but we are allowed to be do a parking lot service which means uh the pastor's outside and his sermon is piped in through a fm translator transmitter and i know many churches are doing that and and that's a a nice way to still visit the church and to visit people across the road in your your vehicles and so um, if that's, you know, the most that we can have right now at temporarily, then that's that's what we're going to do. So we, we looked at the guidelines and we said, yes, let's go ahead and do that. So we've been doing that for about three or four weeks now. And last week we saw a SUV drive by the road and stop for about a good five seconds. And it looked like he took a picture and drove off. And we thought, oh, great. What does that mean? But we never saw anything come of it. Then now comes this week and another car. I don't know if it's the same one, but it was another SUV driving by and it slowed right down and then it kept going. But then after service, uh, friends of ours were staying back to visit. And so we just stayed in our vehicles and kept talking. Our kids were getting annoyed because they couldn't see their friends. But we were talking uh, with our friends and, and they were in their van and we were in our van. And then uh, all of a sudden, the RCMP showed up, just drove up into our right beside our parking lot. And I'm like, well, I guess we better go. So I started the van like I was going to go. And the RCMP backed up and drove into the parking lot. And he kind of, or she, uh, kind of cut me off. And uh, she got out and came over to talk to me. And I busily wondered if I should grab a mask. But I realized she wasn't wearing a mask. So I was like, well, I guess she's not too worried. And... So, uh, in the meantime, most people had cleared out because this is after church. And so there's probably about five or six vehicles left and, uh, we were closest to the entrance. So I guess since they saw, she saw us, she came to talk to us. And, uh, so I guess I was a spokesman and she came up and, and talked to me and the questions were pretty easy. Uh, she was just making sure that we were going, that we were gone or we were done what we were doing and I explained that we were following the rules the way we were supposed to. Was 
you know, the pastor was outside by himself and we all stayed in our vehicles. And she said, yeah, I just got a call from someone. They said there were 17 vehicles in a parking lot. And she kind of said it with a resignation or annoyance in her voice. And I said, well, we followed, followed everything we, we knew we should follow. And so uh, she said, all right. I mean, I got a call and I have to show up, I guess. And uh, when my wife said, well, someone last week came and took a picture, uh, she she kind of rolled her eyes and she, you know what, she didn't wear a mask and she didn't, she didn't stay six feet away from me. She came right up to my window, so she wasn't too worried about, you could tell she wasn't here to lay the law down. So she said, all right, sounds good. And she just got in her car and drove away. And uh, that was it. So friends of ours had said that they saw the police coming as we were, as they were leaving. And so they phoned us and said what went on. And, and they had informed us that that vehicle that we did see today slow down and drive by actually parked down the road and just sat there and waited until the cops came. So we're pretty sure that somebody was not reading the legislation and not reading the health orders and not understanding that we were following and we were doing everything legally. And so I guess they were trying to uh, shut us down or, or they were expecting us to break something, break a rule. And unfortunately, you know, there are some people that are flaunting the law and uh, we didn't want to be one of those. And so we came out with a, a good record and a, a good, um, a good, I, I would say, uh, experience for the cop. I was respectful and everything. My wife said I was super nervous. Uh, I didn't, I was a little bit nervous because now I was the spokesman for our church. And I mean, we just became members. I didn't want to be, uh, well, anyways, it was fine. Everything worked out. Um, as nervous as I was, it was not an issue. And she was polite and nice about it. So, uh, kudos to her for, uh, just showing up and leaving. So that was great to see. And so we, um, had a little bit of excitement. Uh, the pastor was walking out after that and I just called him over and told him what happened. And he just had a big smile on his face and said, thanks. And that seems like it makes sense. Somebody's a little overzealous with the law and I guess, um, Hopefully they found out and read the rules that uh, that our church is still following them. So, anyways, it wasn't quite as exciting as some of the other police uh, encounters that some, some churches are having. But, uh, anyways, that's what we're having. So, after that story, I thought I would uh, tell. Uh, we can get back to our episode and my interview with Travis Johnson. Welcome, Travis Johnson. How are you doing today, Travis? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, enjoying the nice uh, sunny Saskatchewan weather today, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, I think today we were 23 and sunny, and it, it just was like summer, and it was great to finally have summer. Yep. Two weeks ago, we started soccer, and it was like plus eight and windy, and it was brutally cold. Um, so it's nice to finally have some nice outside weather, hey? Yeah, definitely. It was a uh, long enough winter not being able to go anywhere, and now <laughs> it's nice yeah. to be able to actually go outside and do all those different things. So, good. Yeah. It's funny. As we talk about this, it just reminds me that I think every single person I've started a podcast with, I've talked about the weather. That is pretty typical Canadian, I guess. Yeah. We have something to talk about all the time. Is always weather. <laughs> yep. So let's, let's sure. start, Travis, with um, how far we go back. I think you are the podcast um, guest that I go the furthest. Yeah. So I remember coming out to your place on the farm there at East End. Oh man, I I had to be four or five, and uh, <laughs> we'd get together. We I remember watching a Bruins and Leafs game while playing Stratego. That's the earliest memory I have of us hanging out together. Wow. And then, um, yeah. 
And then I think we we kind of like it was more of our moms that hung out then. And then yeah. I think uh, we didn't really hang out a whole bunch until like around my grade eight or grade nine year when when I became a Christian and started hanging out with uh, the Zults and all those different ones uh, with the Sean of Alliance youth group. And, and we connected again in the midst of that. So, yeah, yeah that's a long time ago. That is, that's a great memory. I, it's hilarious that you and I are super into board games and w- that's your earliest memory is you, you and I playing a board game and Stratego is yeah. pretty, pretty awesome game for the, for the eighties at least. Yeah, definitely. I think my earliest memory with you was, is, is in your basement in Shaunavan, uh as kids and I was getting babysat and I think I was watching Spider-Man and I like never watched Spider-Man with anybody else before, or maybe it was, no, maybe it wasn't Spider-Man. Yeah, it was Spider-Man, but it was also Hercules. The cartoon. Oh yeah! <laughs> Didn't we watch Masters of the Universe or something like that too? I think so. Yeah, I. W- your family let me watch stuff that my family did not. You. Yeah, you that sounds about free. right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What is this stuff? This is the coolest <laughs> house ever." Yeah, I remember that. That's funny. Yeah. I think it wasn't until I got my license in grade nine when I started driving to Shonovan grade 10 and that sort of time and we we started hanging out and bonding not so much over board games we bonded more over over music yeah yeah definitely uh, i i remember going down to the frontier coffee house in your vehicle and we weren't sure if we were going to get there because you forgot to fill up gas in shaunavan (laughs) (laughs) and uh that was a massive boat and i'm like oh man we're gonna get stranded on a grid road here (laughs) Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. After uh, you grew up in Shaunavan, I grew up in East End, and then I didn't know, I don't even think I knew that you were interested in going to Miller, um, and you just kind of like showed up when I was in my third year, and, and you were starting your first year. How did you get interested in coming to Miller? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I wasn't initially. I, I thought I was going to go and... Uh, go to university and uh like my initial plan was to go into pharmacy or even you know go into you know teaching physics or something like that like those are my two interests the the pharmacy was very intriguing because it all it had a seven in front of uh another four digits for a starting wage uh <laughs> back when i looked at the the uh uh, guidance counselors handbook on on these different occupations but yeah I had no plans about going to bible school whatsoever and then um, it, it was kind of interesting because like uh, there was that and then uh, you know I was kind of also interested in going to the air force and so that was kind of on the table for a little bit but then uh, I, I remember coming to youth edge uh, and actually staying in your room the one time there and uh, and Basically, Missy uh, Billington, now McComish, uh, really encouraged me to come and, and do, a, do a year of Bible college just because I couldn't decide between anything uh, of what I should should go towards in terms of education. So she said to come for a year and uh, get a good foundation of my faith. And then there was also nice girls here. And that was very <laughs> true. So. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't come for the right reasons. Let's just say that. <laughs> So you came to Miller when I was in first year and then you stayed for four years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did four years. Um, it was, it was sweet. I loved it. Uh, I, I actually took a year off in between first and second year and, oh, uh, lived in Calgary for the year. And, uh, and like, I still had the plans to go into to pharmacy, but, uh, ultimately the Lord, very much led me back to to Miller and and uh, was directing me towards uh, vocational ministry and so I was very thankful for that opportunity to to live out in in the world for a year and and make some bucks and make some mistakes and uh, but ultimately you know to come back and and to finish off my degree and uh, and very thankful for the Lord to the lead and guide in terms of going into pastoral ministry and such. So it's been very good. That's cool. I don't think I knew about that year break. So then you went the, the fourth year internship route. Is that, is that correct? 
Yeah, I did. I, I did an internship. Uh, I don't know if you ever had Trevor Kiriak as a teacher, did you? Yep. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah he uh, he was a teacher here at Miller uh, for, I don't know, four or five years uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then that he was at West Zion Mennonite Church, which is in Carstairs, Alberta, just north of Calgary there. And, uh, and so I went and did an internship with him as uh, the associate pastor. And it was really cool because I got to kind of be like a one-size-fits-all kind of pastor, uh, which is quite normal for a smaller town in the rural kind of a thing, as much as Carstairs is rural. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like uh, ha- having the opportunity to, to kind of just kind of fill in holes where the, the senior pastor needed, but also to do like youth and college and career and junior youth and Awana and, you know, all of those different things. It was, it was really a very good internship. Trevor and I got along so well, but because we were so similar in in so many different ways, you know, we were both sci-fi nerds. We both, you know, liked motorcycles. We both liked uh, working with our hands. And, and uh, we also both were, you know, very big nerds in terms of like, you know, we'd always have like some book that we were reading and then we'd end up talking about, you know, some significant point in that book for like 45 minutes and stuff like that. So it was, it became very evident that it's like, you know, we would work very well together, but probably just not there. <laughs> Cause it was just like, you know, we, we would have lots of really good teaching, but nobody would get visited. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. It was good. That fourth year, I felt like that is a big step. And I remember in my, after my third year, I was asked to do an internship and I, I turned it down and I'd always wonder what my life would turn out if, if I'd said yes, <laughs> because it, it's yeah. good to find out. You mean, I, I don't know uh, how well I would have done. Um, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast, but I've, I was like, the best part of being a youth pastor is I get to stay up late and sleep in in the morning, which is a horrible reason to be a youth pastor. And um, <laughs> so I, I ended up going, you know, off to Briarcrest to do business. Um, but for you to do that, like, was it after third year that you were like, yes, I think I want to pursue full-time ministry? Or was it even when you came back from Calgary, you were you were already on the path? thought that the Lord was uh, directing me towards... Uh, especially youth men early on, even, even like coming back from Calgary. Um, but that, that fourth year internship, like at Miller, we, we have three full years where you go through uh, the whole Bible. Uh, you get some theology, church history, bunch of ministry classes, all those different wonderful things. And then, yeah, fourth year is a, is a full year long internship. And so, yeah, it was, it was really helpful for me. Because it, it kind of gets your feet wet in in the area that you think you might want to uh, want to try out and and might want to uh, take that step of faith into into ministry, and uh, it gives you the opportunity to to really just try it out and do it, and also have that uh, that field ministry coordinator that uh, that mentor in your life who's going to oversee things to you know get you on the straight and narrow in terms of, uh, you know, okay, how is this ministry supposed to be done? You know, what are the different things that you need to learn in it? And it's a, it's a great opportunity for, you know, trying that out before, trying that hill of beans out before it becomes your hill of beans. You know, (laughs) Uh, there's a big step into, into that uh, actual vocational ministry uh, end of things as well. But, uh, but it's a very good taste. And like, yeah, like in terms of your own experience there, like, you know, I've had several students come by my office and uh, and ask if they should do a fourth year because like they're not sure if they're, you know, supposed to go into vocational ministry. They're not sure of a calling or or whatever the case may be. And it's just like, well, you know, why don't you just go try this opportunity? And if the Lord closes the door, he closes the door. That's fine. But to go back to your home church after, you know, eight, nine month internship and figure out that, okay, yeah, maybe you're not supposed to be in vocational ministry, but you've had this opportunity to, to work as a, as a children's pastor, youth pastor, or in some kind of uh, uh, inner city ministry in, in Winnipeg or something like that. Now, what benefit to your church for you to have that experience and step into 
into ministry in your home church and and be able to allow the Lord to use that ministry in different ways in whatever setting that your home church is in. And so I, I would argue fourth year is probably, uh, in terms of our, our program, the most important year because it, it's that opportunity to, to really put into practice the things that you've been learning a little bit more theoretically throughout. So does hey, that help? Yeah, that's actually a great point. I never thought about the experience of the fourth year and then using that in your home church. So after your fourth year, you finished up, you you went to Carstairs and then you didn't stay there. So right. how did you how did you know or how did you find your next your next step? Yeah, so like Danielle and I, that's my wife, uh, we were planning on getting married and and so the big thing was like we, we wanted to take a year and uh, sort of what is what does it look like to to be married and and uh, you know it was important for us to to build that foundation and and so um, you know especially with my personality I, I kind of dive in with both feet <laughs> and so like to have ministry and and a first year of marriage like first year of ministry first year of marriage uh, would have been pretty hectic even even after staying in the church and doing an internship there and so we, we thought it was both wise and prudent uh, to uh, to take a year and and just work and then and then go into pastoral ministry for uh, the foreseeable future and so we lived in Moose Jaw in a tiny little apartment I worked at a place called CJ Trailers for a year which was both the best and worst job I've ever had. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and then y'all worked at Coffee Encounters. So, yeah. Oh, why was it the best and worst? It was the best because basically once I was done, I would always have different difficult days, especially, you know, dealing with junior youth and, and stuff like that. And, you know, feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. And it's like, well, at least I'm not doing CJ trailers work. <laughs> <laughs> So it was best because it gave me that motivation to continue on with the task. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that you were there for a year. That's uh, our first year of marriage was in Moose Jaw too. Uh, we we yeah. we share more stuff history in common. So how did you yep. find your next church? It was interesting. Like we wanted to take that year. We got married September first, two thousand and seven. We we wanted to take that year, and so it was like, okay, we won't really pursue anything in terms of, uh, you know, associate pastor or youth pastor positions. But uh, it was interesting because uh, I think there was somebody here at Miller that uh, that continued to, you know, put my name out there and let, let it be known that I would eventually be looking for a church because we had like four different churches call us right out of the blue uh, without having put a resume in throughout that year. And there was... Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. And so anyways, uh, all of them were, were interesting and, and stuff like that. But we were, it, was, it was impressed upon us that, you know, no, we should wait that year. And, and we felt that that was what the Lord wanted for us. And so towards the end of that year, uh, like I was kind of slowly working on accreditation stuff for the CNMA, Christian Missionary Alliance. And so the Assiniboia Alliance Church was all of a sudden looking for a new associate because the, uh, the previous one had resigned. And so I got a call out of the blue from uh, the senior pastor there, Greg Dermody uh, one day. And he's like, you need to uh, give me a shout and send me a resume. Here's my email. And uh, so I called him up and, and uh, it was interesting because just the week previous, I was uh, talking with one young guy at, CJ Trailers, who uh, whose hometown was actually Assiniboia, and uh, and anyways, I was asking him if there was a if there was a uh, Alliance Church there, and he said, "Yeah, there is actually. It's a really good church." And anyways, he didn't go to that church. He he was he went to the Apostolic Church, but he knew of of it quite well. And uh, anyways, he he said, "You should." you should see if they're actually hiring. Cause I think that I just heard the youth guy resigned. And so, or, or something along, I can't remember exactly the details, but anyways, it, it was really interesting to, to have Greg call uh, and, and tell me all this, but 
anyways, we met at uh, Coffee Encounters where my wife worked and uh, <laughs> and we visited and they told us to just come down the next Sunday and, and check out the church. And, and we came down and it was really interesting because, uh, you know, for, for us, we're, well, I'm from Southern Saskatchewan originally, so a little bit blue collar and all that kind of stuff. And we, we got there and it was kind of like, just keep it secret that we're not, that, that you're not, you know, coming down to check out the church for ministry or whatever. But like the first person we talked to, oh, why are you here? You know, and just wouldn't leave it alone. <laughs> and so I was just like, well, we, we met with Greg and Shelly and they told us to come check out the church and check out the associate pastor position. And so, <laughs> so anyways, it was either that time or they called us down to come another Sunday and, and they, they had my accreditation done. They had my resume in and they just, we met with the, the elders and their families. I had an interview with the elders at the church and they hired us on the spot. So I, I never did a candidating weekend actually. <laughs> so yeah, it was interesting. So they hired you right on the spot. And so then you stayed there for a few years as the, was it associate pastor or youth pastor? Uh, yes. <laughs> we were there for almost seven years. So I, I said that uh, we were going to take a year, right? And mm -hmm. God held us to that. We got married September 1st, 2007. We started at Assiniboia September 1st, 2008 <laughs> on, cool. on the day. So it was really cool. cool. Yeah, we were there for seven years, six and three quarters, whatever. Uh, that's seven in my books as uh, the associate pastor of youth and young adult ministries. So yeah, it was awesome. We loved it. Cool. I did not know you were there that long. So you were running like the youth program. Did you, did you preach much? Did you get to do, I guess you had lots of different opportunities there. Yeah, I did. Um, we did probably 40%, maybe 50% youth. And, and so we, we had uh like uh, before I was there, Lionel Moffat, he was uh, the youth guy. He's now the senior pastor at Wood Mountain Alliance Church. Uh, he had a great ministry in a lot of ways. And so that first year was uh, was very much uh, not what Lionel did, which was always interesting <laughs> to, to hear from the different youth and stuff like that. But uh, it, it, was, it was really good, though, because it gave me a chance to take note of what Lionel did really well. And uh, also note that, well, I'm, I'm not Lionel and we're going to do something different here because I think this would be better. And so, um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of opportunities to, you know, try to fill those shoes, but also, you know, blaze my own trail in, uh, in the, up, in the following years. So yeah, we did both youth, or, sorry, we did uh, both junior and senior youth there. And we ended up combining them and, and uh, changing the program completely in a lot of different ways. But uh, yeah, it was, it was excellent. We also did young adults and that, that really ebbed and flowed and changed over our time there. Our young adults program went from being just like a couple of couples that didn't have kids to more of a young families and, you know, some, some singles as well, but, we started out with like, I don't know, two or three couples and ended up with like, I don't know, I think there was 44 at our house the one day uh, for a barbecue <laughs> kind of thing. It was awesome. I was just along for the ride, it felt like. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, yeah. weren't you weren't you the same age as all of them? <laughs> and Pretty much, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the associate is just kind of, uh, you know, the younger of the two pastors and does all the jobs that the senior doesn't want to do. So I had, you know, the classic preaching on the Sunday after Christmas. Often I would have it after, you know, any, any big meetings or something like that. But on average, I think I preached about six times, sorry, every, sorry, uh, preached every six weeks or so. And uh, I got, we had Sunday school. We had, you know, we had Friends Club, which was kind of like a, a derivative of Awana, but wasn't Awana that I helped with. Which it kind of was a feeder program into into youth in a lot of ways. And so it was good to be there. We had, uh, oh man, lots of opportunities with uh, people of all ages. Like I did lodge services and some seniors ministry, lots of visitation. We also had a couple of different really good opportunities in the community as well. 
I was a volunteer firefighter for five years in Assiniboia. And, and so it was kind of like, I was a little bit of a chaplain there, but most of them were at least my age or older uh, yeah. for the most part. And so, you know, some, sometimes you'd have like the, the different conversations with people afterwards, like, you know, pulling, you know, some guy out of a, out of a vehicle or, or, you know, pulling somebody out of a fire and it's just pretty traumatic. And so lots of good opportunities for conversation and sharing Christ with people in those situations. And then uh, we, we also had some good opportunities with the school, uh, both connected with the, the fire department as well as doing a, a basketball coaching thing. And so, yeah, it was, it was really cool to, to take all those different opportunities that the Lord provided. So it's great to hear that you had a all in all a, a pretty positive experience in that ministry. Would you say you you owe you know the the positive experience to the the lead pastor? I think that has a, a significant part to play, but I think also the the attitude of the associate plays a big part, or the youth mm-hmm. pastor, or children's pastor, whoever plays mm-hmm. a big part, like. Um, going in, I, I wanted a pastor who'd been doing ministry for a while uh, to mentor me. And, and so, you know, I went in with that kind of an attitude that, you know, I need to be teachable in this. And mm-hmm. I need to to trust that, uh, you know, there's going to be some things where maybe I don't agree in, in the moment. But rather than getting in a huff uh, or, you know, being derelict of duty or, or whatever the case may be, what do I need to learn from this? Is there a, is there an attitudinal uh, correction that needs to be taken on my part? And, and like, you know, at the same point in time, I, I would argue that there's, you know, an important authority structure that's there. Like you are one that, you know, has been charged with a, a significant task uh, of, you know, leading the youth and young adults or, or whatever the case may be. But at the same point in time, it's the board of elders and the senior pastor that really have that overseer role. And so you know, I think we see that, especially in in First Timothy chapter three and and also Titus chapter one, that you know there are these ones who are overseers of the church. Like youth pastor is not ultimately <laughs> the one who has mm-hmm. the authority in, in a lot of those cases, though you are given the responsibility in, in different areas. So moving on from, from Assiniboia, that's your, your, your last stop before Miller. Is that right? Yeah. So how did you, did, did Miller ask or did you notice an opening there and, and jump in and, and you took initiative or um, how does, how does one make that jump back to, going from student to the ministry field and then back to being a professor. That's a, a cool jump. How does that? Oh happen? man, that is such a big question, Landon. <laughs> uh, so th- this is going to take a little bit, I think uh, of storytelling here, but uh, so a couple of things here. Um, so even though I was associate pastor with focus on youth, I was not your average youth pastor. Let's just put it that way. I, I, as I said, I'm a big nerd. I, I like uh, biblical languages. I like studying theology. I like studying apologetics, all those uh, different things, uh, you know, that come along with uh, being a Bible school teacher. That, that was something that was already intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And so th- this kind of came out in, in terms of my, my youth ministry. Like, I don't know of too many other youth pastors who, would do the Greek on, <laughs> on their Bible study before they would actually teach it. I don't know of too many youth pastors who have taught systematic theology and cults to their junior youth. I also <laughs> had actual Greek small group in our, in our uh, church where uh, I taught using mounts. I taught them, taught uh, everybody from, uh, everybody who wanted anyways, from a girl in grade 10 all the way to a mom, like a stay-at-home mom, uh, to a retired uh, lady, to a lawyer, like, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> are, well, and, and a retired missionary lady as well. And, uh, you know, we, we went through Mounts and read First John and read Second Thessalonians, you know, like, uh, that. that's not your usual youth pastor type thing. And so, anyways, 
you know, the, the what's next kind of question is constantly being asked, right? You know, quite a few people think that, you know, when you do youth ministry, you're, you're at some point in time, you know, if you don't burn yourself out or if you don't uh, cower out or whatever the case may be, you're going to go on and do a senior pastor role, right? And so anyways, that, that was kind of my idea too. But our senior pastor did a sabbatical for three months uh, in our third year there. And it was kind of the opportunity to really ask that question and get an opportunity to uh, sit in that big chair. And so anyways, during that three months, I, I sat in the big chair in many ways, but uh, still had some different uh, some uh, elders and, and, and a few other people to help out uh, in different regards and I hated every minute of it. I was just like, well, that is not what I want to do next. And so, yeah, the question really was asked then, well, what is next? Like, you know, we always thought, you know, okay, well, we'll do youth men for 10 years or so, and then probably move on to a senior pastor role. And uh, it's just like, well, if that's really not what I believe I'm interested in doing or where the Lord is leading, then you know, what do we do? And so I talked to uh, some very wise spirit-filled mentors and a couple elders and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, all of them said, you teach Greek to a small group, you teach cults to junior youth, you teach, you know, all these different things. Like you're a teacher, man. Like we're, we've been benefiting it for, from it for years. This is really where you should be heading. And so anyways, uh, I, I talked to the senior pastor, uh, talked to Greg when he got back, and it was just like, I think I should start pursuing, you know, the next steps if I am going to teach at a Bible college or something like that. And, and so, anyways, he, he said, well, you should look at different master's programs, and then we'll, let's sit down and talk about it kind of a thing. And so I, I remember in my fourth year, uh, a guy named Rob Cochran, he was the, the pastor at Open Bible in Swift Current. Uh, he said this, uh, if you do a seminary program, find find one that focuses on the Bible. It's not that other programs aren't helpful, but often uh, the focus is on the current level of research in a field of ministry or focus of study. And so sometimes it can be outdated within a few years, whereas if you do a program that's, you know, primary focuses on the Bible, it always is useful for whatever ministry you're, you're called to do. And so, you know, I thought that was you know, some significant wise advice. And so, especially for me, who, you know, was very much headed towards some kind of Bible school ministry in, in from, from where I was standing, I thought that, yeah, if I'm going to study something, it should be pretty heavy biblical studies and, and focused on the languages, especially because I loved doing that. Uh, that was actually one thing Trevor Kiriaka really strongly encouraged me in my internship to try to pick up a bit more. I, I did I did two classes of Greek when I was at, uh, at Miller. And then in my third year, I decided not to. And Arnie Armstrong, he's Dean of Education here. He said, uh, you shouldn't quit because you'll, you'll just drop it. And I, that's just like haunted me. <laughs> Cause it was just like, you know, how dare you say I can't do that? You know? <laughs> and so I, like, I, I think I kept it up out of spite mostly. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, there was a master's program at Briarcrest that really caught my eye. Briarcrest was was nice and convenient. It was only an hour and 20 minutes away from Assiniboia. And so that was good. You know, doctrinally, I got along with them reasonably well. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was just like, well, it, it seems to make sense. But uh, they have a, a Master of Arts in Biblical Languages and Exegesis program, which very much caught my eye and uh, I'm actually graduating from that program finally after nine years of uh, of study in that two-year program <laughs> and so I started the master's basically doing two-thirds time well full-time at the church which meant a lot of early mornings and late evenings uh, but also you know tried to take in and, and put into practice the different things that I was learning so that I could make use of those things while I was, you know, doing ministry at the church. Cause that's, you know, what I was supposed to do too. So, mm. but uh, probably the, the, there were a few significant events that really 
brought things to a focus in terms of this is this is where you're supposed to go because uh, like you know my my first first dream would was teaching at Miller but it's not like I wouldn't have you know gone someplace else so long as you know it was close doctrinally right but but there were there were a couple of major events here first of all was uh, I went to a wedding of, of a Miller alumni and uh, I got to visit with uh, with a bunch of different people there, but two of which were uh, Chris Brown, who he's next office over to me. He, he was uh, just starting his fifth year internship with Miller. And I'm like, I haven't even heard of a fifth year internship. But basically it's if they're thinking about hiring you on as a staff and they want to have you on for a year to really sort out the ministry before you get the opportunity to really step into that role, they give you a fifth year kind of a thing. Uh, if they're looking to fill that role. And so I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. And so I I inquired a little bit more about that. And then uh, Phil Rutten was there as well. And so I was like, he's, he's the president. And so I talked to him, and let him know what we're thinking kind of a thing. And he said, you know, we, we do probably have something coming up, but we're not letting anything out in terms of announcements yet. And they were just kind of working on the beginnings of what Sunnybrae, uh, our Sunnybrae campus was at that time. And so he said, submit a resume and call or email me every six months with an update. So I don't forget about you. And so, <laughs> sure. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely. And so that happened. And then I also called Joran Green. And I don't think you ever had Joran. Is that no, right? He, he came just after I left. Yeah. And so he, he taught me, uh, for two years, my second and third year. And anyways, we, we became pretty close friends and stuff like that. And so he was still teaching here then. And so I, I called him and I said, okay, you are, are teaching here at Miller and I want some wisdom and mentorship. What are the best steps I need to take so that if this is what the Lord has, I am ready. And so anyways, he, he called, he told me to, uh, to come out to Pambrin and teach a couple of classes. Uh, and so I taught uh, a theology class on adoption with, uh, with my wife. And, uh, and so that was, that was really cool because adoption is something near and dear to our hearts. We, uh, we have an adopted daughter, Matea, as you know. Um, but also I taught Second uh, Thessalonians uh, as well. And then uh, the following year, he said, he, he called me up, and he's like, do you want to come out Sunnybrae? It was the very first year of Sunnybrae. Uh, and he was going to go out there and teach a cults class. And so, uh, so anyways, I, I was like, of course I do. <laughs> you know, 13-hour drive with Jordan talking about nerdy things. Absolutely, I want to go. And to <laughs> teach on top of that, absolutely. So I went and taught two and a half hours on the JWs out there. And, uh, man, I, if they're is uh, a significant call of to ministry in my life. It would be that it was just like, Oh, this is what I'm fabricated to do. You know, yeah. it was just like everything was, was so exciting. And then like the, the third, uh, third major event. And, and this is kind of maybe more of a season in my life in our seventh year at Assiniboia. Uh, I had basically no vision for what I was supposed to do to move the ministry forward into the eighth year, none whatsoever. And it's like, you know, quite often I get a, like I, I struggle with insomnia every once in a while. And quite often like the Lord would just like download into my brain or something like that, you know, okay, this is what the, the vision is for next year. And I didn't have that. And I was, I was just like, Oh man, like, are we supposed to be here next year? Kind of a thing. And so it, and, and like, this was, three and a half years in to, you know, the master's program and three and a half years into, okay, I hope that, you know, some, some way along the line here that there's an opportunity at Miller, but maybe, maybe I need to ask the question of, do I look elsewhere? And so, you know, we prayed about, you know, a few things, like there was a few really small churches in Saskatchewan that were, you know, continually knocking on our door. And so we prayed about those opportunities a little bit more. There was also a, a, 
uh, expatriate church in uh, South Korea, in Seoul that we looked at. Um, and, and all of those just kind of fell through. And, uh, and it was just like, okay, Lord, well, whatever you want, you know, we're ready. And uh, I think it was like a week after that, that church uh, in South Korea fell through. We got a call from Phil Rutten in March there. And basically he said, okay, we're interviewing you and another guy. The other guy hasn't started the Masters. He's too young and he just doesn't have enough ministry experience for us to actually hire. So basically the job is yours to lose. And so, <laughs> that whole week was just like, what? You know, like just like a, a whirlwind of, of, you know, phone calls and going out and, and having an interview and getting hired on the spot again. And, and then, you know, okay, now we've got to sell a house. Now we need to, you know, resign. <laughs> you know, all of these different things. I was just like, wow. And like the whole time, I'm just like, who am I to do this? And so like, that was the journey. Yeah. That's six years ago now. So now you've finished, I should have some fireworks music and sound effects for <laughs> congratulating you for finishing your master's. So, that, oh, yeah. so, that's, so that is, you have to have a four year bachelor of arts to get into it. And then right. it takes another two years to get it. And then you got that because it was the most interesting to you. Like you were looking to further your education and that was the one thing that jumped out to you. Is that, did I, did I get that right? Was that, and I, sorry, I can't remember what exactly the title is. What is it again? Yeah, it's, it's a master of arts in biblical languages and exegesis. And and like th this one is the only one that I've found in Canada. Like maybe they've come up with more places that have done this in like the last nine years. But I know uh, Dallas Theological Seminary also has one as well. Yeah, let's just go back to the, the title of it. So biblical languages and exegesis. Can you define uh, what exegesis is? I, I think I, I know what it is, but I just want to make sure it's. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, essentially it's uh, <clears throat> exegesis is is reading things out of Scripture Okay, and so you're you're taking and truths of and uh, and applying them to our world, as opposed to asegesis, which is, you know, forcing the world into the scriptures and uh, and trying to insert meaning into the scriptures. Rather, we're with exegesis, we're taking meaning out of the scriptures and yeah. applying it to to things. And so. I find that fascinating that there's a course specifically for that from a seminary when you would expect that should be what every single student <laughs> has been taught when coming out of a seminary like that's that's the whole point of being a uh, in my mind a speaking pastor or, or something that preaches is to use exegesis in in your preaching and it's funny to me that there's just one course when in my mind it should be a course for every single pastor because that's how we read our that's how we should <laughs> read our bible i'm not i'm not uh taking anything away from uh the course i'm just it's funny that shouldn't that be every seminary student have that or am i off my rocker oh absolutely <laughs> I, I think i think every church member should be trained in exegesis um like basically it's just bible studying habits you mm. know how, how do you read the scriptures in light of the context, in light of, uh, you know, what is being said within that? How is it? Said? Like all of those things are, are so critical. You can't just take a, a random passage and not read it in light of that. It, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, if you're, if you're watching like a, a TV show, well, well, let's, let's use Star Wars here. Uh, it'll be familiar with pretty much most people here. Uh, you know, you come in in episode five and uh, and then all of a sudden you've got Darth Vader on the bridge. He's cut off Luke's hand and, uh, you know, you've got the whole you are my father scene. Right. Yeah. Uh, where we find out that Darth Vader is is your is Luke's father. And it's just like, you know, if that's the only thing that you watched out of Star Wars, would you be very confused? Yeah, I think you would. Yeah, you, you need the whole backstory, right? Right. And yeah. so, like, 
you know, even with the, the original trilogy and all that kind of stuff, you got a little bit of a, uh, a play on things in terms of, okay, you, you understand the, the, uh, that they're building up to it and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you have the denouement at the end so that, uh, that it resolves, but then you got like the prequel trilogy that gives more context, all that. Anyways, you you know, we, we have this, uh, this kind of thing where it's just like, you know, you, you can take a a passage in scripture um, and you can pretty much twist it to mean anything you want. If you completely forget about everything that the writer is saying, (laughs) and so it's just like, you know, you, you can go and, and look at Paul's letters or whatever, and you can just take one verse and it's just like, you know, oh, this is my life verse or whatever, uh, or, you know, passage Jeremiah or whatever. And it's just like, you know, we have people doing this all the time. And it's just like, you know, what does this particular verse have to do with what you're saying? Uh, because, you know, especially Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, uh, <laughs> for I know the plans you have for no me. plans you have for you. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, for you. yeah. And it's just like, well, that's written in context of the exile. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's God sending Israel into exile. And it's just like, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, a, a very nice, happy passage of God's blessing uh, without context you know, help helping us understand that yes, they are going into exile, but at the same point in time, God is going to bring blessing, uh, you know, especially to the remnant as they return. But right. yeah, <laughs> I think that course would be, uh, I could see that being beneficial for anyone that wants to learn more about, you know, Christianity and the Bible, uh, learning the languages is such a huge part of it. Like, oh yeah. I'd, I don't know any, but I do know that it's important to go back to it and to, you know, if there's a word or there's a phrase that uh, people can, can twist or use, go back to the Greek and go find the definite. I think the biggest thing, you know, the, the help of, of biblical languages and like, this is why it's so important for people to know them, right? Like I, I would argue if you go to Bible school and if you got the chops to, to learn biblical languages, you should, you know, it, it, it makes it so that you're far more difficult to dupe um, <laughs> because, you know, like somebody can just, you know, pick a random commentary and it, you don't know what the person who's writing it believes. And uh, you know, somebody will just use a Greek word in the middle of it. And it's just like, well, how do you know you're holding somebody over a barrel if, if they don't know, uh, the right. language, right? Right. And you know, you hear that even from the pulpit. It's just like, and you know, the Greek word to fear is this, and it's just like, great, uh, you know, pastor. I have no idea what that means. Like, it's not, it, it's not the best use of uh, of your of your tools. But can you explain if you do know the the biblical languages? Uh, can you explain the same concept in in a way that you know you're using your your languages as underwear, uh, but you know you're you're displaying the the teaching uh, in such a way that you know it's hidden underneath, right? Uh, that's that's something that we I, I encourage my students to do. It's just like you know where your where your Greek and Hebrew is underwear, but make sure that you uh, you allow everybody to see the full suit uh, <laughs> that is uh, you know coming through, and, and you're explaining it in such a way that everybody can understand. And so, like, that's why it's so critical, I think. Um, also, the, the second major thing is this. Um, it's, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, reading poetry and hearing that song, that or the words of, of that poetry sung with the full symphony, right? We can see the poetry uh, in, in a lot of the ways that we read our English text Bibles or whatever language mm-hmm. we're reading it in. But, you know, when we really, when we, when we dive into the Greek and Hebrew and the Aramaic, we now begin to hear the music uh, of God's salvation story, uh, you know, and, and we kind of miss it if, if we don't have the opportunity to read it in the original. Uh, that, that's a paraphrase of something uh, one of my professors taught, uh, taught me, and Eric Ortland uh, said something along those lines. So uh, yeah. that's, that's always stuck with me. So Yeah. So when you do your own personal bible study do you do it in the original languages or do you oh, have a yeah. translation 
Oh yeah. <laughs> nice. That's that's just fun. <laughs> like it's it's all dependent on how much time we have. Like most most yeah. often, if I'm prepping something, I'll I'll go to the original though. So yeah. But if you had to press, what biblical translation would you use if you had to use a translation rather than the the, the original? Oh, I hate when people ask me that okay. question. <laughs> there. You don't have to. No, it's fine. Every translation is problematic. Okay. You know, whether you're using King James or the NIV or the ESV or, you know, whatever, uh, each, each of them have had to make exegetical choices to, to provide the translation just because, you know, we simply don't have the, the same ways of of describing things as the Hebrews did, or as, you know, uh, idioms in Greek or something like that, you know, like in, uh, in Genesis, it talks about God's nose being red. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is angry, you know, but, you know, you go and read the original and it's just like, oh, yeah, God's nose is red. That's very intriguing. And so it's just like you have to, to bring forward that that idea there uh, into the, the modern English mindset. But in doing so, you're making an exegetical choice. Uh, you know, you go to, to First Peter or whatever, and and you're making exegetical choices as you're translating through that. So every every translation has uh, has problems with it if it's you know translated from the original. And so uh, you know we we have this all the time. Uh, my wife is Mennonite, and she's just uh, her her mom grew up speaking Low German, and uh, you know there's different things that is just like you know that Danielle and her mom will say in low German because it just, it's, it fits so much better with what, what's trying to be expressed at that point in time. And then (laughs) Danielle's mom will say, like, when you ask, you know, what does that mean? Oh, it doesn't translate to English. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay. (laughs) Here, this is, uh, I'll put you on a spot a little bit because this is such a, an important passage that everyone is talking about right now. And, it is Hebrews ten twenty five. Um, Hebrews ten twenty five. Oh, yeah. So that is being used uh, quite a bit for churches nowadays. And I heard a pastor preach on this on the internet. And when he read it, he said, "Let us not give up the habit of assembling, as some are in the habit of doing, or something like that." And I looked through all my translations. Oh, wait, you never gave me what translation you like. But Oh, I, I use the ESV if I have Okay. To. <laughs> okay. So, they, so ever since you've said that, I've used the ESV more than the NIV because I used to be NIV just because it's easier reading. But Travis said ESV, so I use ESV ever since then. So <laughs> the ESV and the NIV and most of the verses say, let us uh, not give up meeting together which mm-hmm. and he used assembling every time he said it and i'm like what translation is he coming assembling or is he using that word because it sounds better in the town context of we need to meet in church together as a big group so let's use the word assembly because that sounds bigger <laughs> than meeting right. together um right do you have a translation of that verse or uh, any opinion of how that's translated yeah, well, it's off the cuff, but so in terms of that, like you got a, a negative command for sure. You know, do not, uh, and the ESV goes with neglect. Uh, you could mm. go leave behind uh, or forsake. You know, that those those would be fine. Uh, but in terms of the the word to assemble, there it's episunagogogogo well, game, <laughs> and, and it's like. You know, the, it, it can mean assemble, okay, uh, you know, but it also can mean meet. Uh, I, I think he is trying to bring out a nuance that, you know, possible, but not exactly. Right. That, that's what I want. Not exactly necessary. Necess, uh, he, he's just nuancing the text to, to meet the day, I would yeah. argue. I think so, like, too. Because meet doesn't the meet together doesn't signify how many meet no. could be a small group and it would still, yeah. yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at when I was, when I was reading that too. And I was like, 
buddy, I, I kind of know what you're doing there. I don't know. I, I, I mean, there, there's so much more we could talk about theology yeah. of, of the church and, and this COVID restrictions. And, and we're not going to get into that, but I just wanted to bring that out, how you read a verse and then translate it or use the different terms can impact what the listener hears. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and those are, you know, pretty key words today, right? You yep. know, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it is interesting, like, you know, with, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it with this. It is interesting. Like, you know, we've got a, lo- a number of larger churches that are not meeting with everybody there. And it's like, yeah, I, I get it. That's frustrating. We got a church of a hundred, uh, 80 to a hundred that, yeah, we haven't met in quite a while in terms of the large group, but at the same point in time, you know, there's still lots of opportunities to meet, you know, just because we can't do, you know, the full big thing uh, with 1500 people doesn't mean that, you know, you can't have small groups that would not be beneficial, you know? Thank you. So, Thank you. That's, yeah. that's my, that, that is a hundred percent my feeling on that. And yeah. like, uh, what, why can't you plant what, why can't you plant, you know, 40 churches in this time, I guess is my question. Yeah, exactly. That is, <laughs> I, where was I, where was I going with that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, oh, that was what I think. I almost say a lot of these big churches are being lazy in that they want to do church the same way they used to do. And they aren't looking for other ways to make it work with smaller numbers. And I get it. You know, John MacArthur's church is 5,000 people. And I don't know how you're going to break that up into groups of 100 or 50 or something like that. Like that's above my pay grade. But there is, more ways to meet than in a, in a huge church. So, yeah. All right. Travis. It's, it's just the tradition of things. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, hundred percent. Since we are both big board game nerds, I want you to give me uh, a board game or two that someone would play if they are tired of settlers of Catan or tired oh. of ticket to ride. So, you, you know, you've got that you're past the first, gateway game of yeah. Carcassonne, Catan, Ticket to Ride. I think those are the, th- you know, the three big ones lots of people think of. What, what's, what's your next step? Ooh, next step. Well, usually I, I ask folks, you know, what are they interested in? And like, you know, are they, do they like the economy side of things? Do they like the exploring, exploiting end of things? Uh, you know, do they just want to build a map? Mm-hmm. Those types of things are, are often the things that I'll ask, and that'll kind of lead you in different directions. Um, in, in terms of like economic stuff, uh, building engines and all that kind of stuff, you know, I'd, I'd encourage people to check out Viticulture uh, by Stonemeyer Games. Man, just such a great little game. It's uh, you're you're basically you inherit a, a vineyard in Tuscany and uh, and you're using the uh, the different worker placement uh, things that you have to uh, basically build up your vineyard and and then ultimately sell off your goods to, to different people as, as they come along. It's, it's your classic euro. Another one, Grand Austria Hotel is my wife's favorite game. And especially like if you're if you're into filling orders and stuff like that, there's there's quite a few games like that that are like video games as well. Uh, but basically, you're a, you're a hotelier in Austria, uh, and you're drafting dice uh, so that you can you can fulfill the guests and rooms and get the most points. It's a lot of fun that one. Um, so those would be two economic ones. Maybe something that would be a little bit more confrontational. I've been playing quite a bit of Star Wars X-Wing. It's kind of, uh, it's definitely a step up in terms of beyond Settlers of Catan. But, you know, you've got uh, these little Star Wars spaceships and stuff like that. And uh, you fly and blow up each other and build squadrons and all those different types of things. It's like the ultimate expensive nerd game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, (laughs) But it's, it's a lot of fun. Another dudes on a map, right? Dudes on a map, 
Well, dude's yep. in space on a map. <laughs> Another confrontational game, and I we first played this with you and Alishma actually, is yeah. uh, Tigris and Euphrates, and it's just like, yeah. it, it is probably the most violent card or sorry tile laying game I've ever played, and basically you will you will hate one another by the end of it, but also have <laughs> loved it at the same point in time. So that would be number four. The last one will be uh, Merchants and Marauders. And basically you're pirates and it's, uh, you know, you got a big sandbox of all these different things that you can do. You can, you could be a merchant and sell goods to, to different islands and ports and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, or you could be a marauder and always, you just always have to pick Marauder. It's so much fun. You're a pirate <laughs> that just basically tries to, to blow up stuff. <laughs> Best three hours you understand. <laughs> so those would be my five, Lynn. Wow. Great. Thanks, Travis. I The first two, Viticulture and Grand Austrian Hotel, I've played once or twice. And those, those games will take a couple tries to get good at, yeah. if I remember correctly. Um, there's a game that you taught me, Thern and Taxis. Um, oh yeah, one time, and that game I could not figure it out, and so I'm playing it on Board Game Arena online, and just over and over and over again. So I'm like, this game should be awesome. I think it is. I just can't <laughs> figure out the, and then it clicked, and I just keep playing it over and over again with rando strangers online, and uh, yeah. I've got up pretty high on the ranking now. So I'm having so much fun with it, and that was a game that that you taught me, your daughter. I remember you and your daughter taught me. Yeah. <laughs> she she was on fire with it, and I'm like, "What is she? How is she doing this so well?" So, anyways, yeah, it's it's basically it's it's basically uh, Ticket to Ride's older and better brother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uglier, but yeah. uglier. Yeah, it's not a oh yeah, very pretty game. Uh, but no. it's definitely <laughs> yes, hundred percent. It's way better. All right, yeah. Travis. Well, thank you so much for stopping by on the podcast today i'm at two percent on my tablet here so we are wrapping up just in time well i i can always talk that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) thanks landon and with that episode eight is in the books thanks travis for stopping by making the time and thank you for listening to Uh, episode eight of the maple belief podcast if you have any comments or have any questions or concerns you can direct them to my email account which is maplebelief at gmail.com so maplebelief one word at gmail.com and my instagram that i'm trying to uh, stay current and active on is maplebelief.podcast and so you can find me on there uh, if you yeah want to touch base Anyways, with that, see you next time. Bye.